Welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast. This is your host, Tim Ferrara. This podcast is a member of the Edify Podcast Network. Download the Edify app today. That's E-D-I-F-I. Last week's episode with Steve Macchio was awesome. We talked about discernment, one of my favorite topics. And also, I didn't mention it, but last week was, I think, our 100th episode, if you don't count the bonus episode. So praise God for his faithfulness in helping me do this podcast. And I hope it has helped you along the 100 episodes. There's also a lot of great content episodes past two years. So if you missed any episodes, feel free to go back and listen to my awesome guests. Also, my devotional Eyes on Jesus is still very cheap on Amazon at the time of this recording, so check it out. You might get a great deal and get a great resource for your quiet time with Jesus. I'm excited for my guest today. He has a lot of passion and experience around the topic of lust and porn, a topic we don't talk about often enough in the church, but have a listen, whether for yourself or someone else you can help. Welcome to the podcast. This show is about you and your walk with Jesus as we grow in discernment together so that we can make better daily decisions that honor God in all we do. We will align all things against the Bible and give you practical steps to run your Christian race to win. And now your host, the discerning dad, Tim Ferrara. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Sathya San. He is an addiction recovery coach and the creator of Deep Clean, a research-based and Bible-backed system for overcoming porn addiction. His powerful story and innovative methodology have been featured on multiple sites. Before starting his coaching business, he worked as a pastor for over 10 years. Sathya and his wife live in Toronto, Canada, and he is the host of the Unleash the Man Within podcast. Sathya, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. It was good to connect. And uh, I love your core message of what you're focused on and your story. I, I was telling you before you came on, it's one of the things about having creative control of a podcast is I get to have on whoever wants to come on that I want to have on that say yes. And so uh, I heard what you were doing and I was like, I need to have you on as we talk about discernment in our life, uh, making decisions that honor God. One of those major decisions is to not live in sin or have that burden of sin that gives us shame and guilt and to overcome that and live in the freedom that Christ has for us. So tell us a little more about uh, about you, about uh, your story, as much as you want to uh, share with our audience. Yeah, sure. So I am a fourth generation pastor, just kind of grew up in Christianity, churchianity, whatever you want to call it. My, uh, my ambition was always to... Um, I don't know, to live, pe- to live, to help other people. And so that was, that was in me at a very young age. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I got exposed to pornography, which is kind of the area I specialize in now. I help people with porn addiction. I got exposed to pornography in the computer lab of my Christian school when I was 11 years old. Mm. And I share this story. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of jumping right into it just because I think it's important for people to get a little bit of a context of kind of where I'm coming from because nobody really gets into, coaching people through porn addiction without an experience of their own, generally speaking. Right. So uh, so that was the case for me. I, I got exposed at a young age, slowly got exposed to it more and more, uh, eventually kind of by choice, uh, primarily by choice, really. In high school, it was regular. And I would say in university was when I was addicted. And the interesting thing is, you know, you can grow up in a pastor's home, uh, go to church every week, but it wasn't really until I was in university that I also found my faith and, and really committed my life to Jesus. And that's, it's another story we could get into more if you'd like. But, um, but for this snapshot, uh, that happened. And when I made that decision, because of my extensive background in church, I knew that came with some lifestyle changes. And so, um, I stopped getting drunk on the weekends with my friends. I started using better language. 
And I knew I had to stop watching porn as well. And to me, those were all lumped together as like sinful behaviors that were a regular, regular part of my life that I was going to discontinue now that I've committed to Jesus. Right. And I stopped drinking pretty quickly. That was no problem. Cleaned up my language in a couple of weeks and could not for the life of me shake porn. And that was mm-hmm. when I realized I had a major issue. And I would say I, I started with a lot of the mainstream solutions, things that you just heard people talking about either online or in church. And those got me into what they call the binge purge cycle. So I did start to eventually kind of expand that gap between when I would relapse and watch. But when I relapsed and watched, I relapsed really hard. And I would Mm. binge and then I would say, I would repent after God, like, forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again. This moment feels so terrible. I, I, Why would I ever do this again? And then a, a week later or whatever it was, I was back there praying those same prayers. So that's when I knew I had to do a little bit deeper work, I think, to get free. And eventually I found some of those tools and resources. And when I did, because I knew how many people were struggling, it was like other people need to know about this as well. So I I would say that that birthplace of like, okay, I know I want to help others, that kind of got reignited in that season of like, I'm no longer gain free just for myself, even though that's great motivation. But mm-hmm. I know there's a whole plethora of people I can be serving once I figure this thing out. And uh, the last time I relapsed was February 2016. I waited a couple of years before I kind of felt like a release from God to do what I do now. And in December 2018, we launched Deep Clean and here we are a few years later. That's cool. How did you discern God's call to do that? You know, a lot of us have stories of overcoming things and God uses those to help other people. How did you know for you, this is what he had for you? Yeah, well, I love the three pillars that you've kind of built everything on of like uh, the word of God, the Holy Spirit and relationships with others. And when I reflect on that decision-making process for me, those three elements were very much evident. Uh, I have a huge value for, for reading the Bible. So like I'm in the Bible every day. Like I just, I get up early and God gets the first hour of my day. He kind of gets my best hour. So, um, that's been a a long standing thing for me. Uh, like I said, I think I knew from a young age, I love communicating and I really like the interaction with people. I think there's obviously everybody wants to help other people. Like that doesn't make me unique. Uh, but the way I wanted to do it was always, I love, I have the soft skills to just be with people, to ask questions, make them feel safe and comfortable and help them work through their stuff. So that was that was something that I would say I discovered in reading God's word. You look at all these great men and women of the faith who had different skill sets, different talents, and I think as I got more into the Bible, I realized, oh, this is okay. Like I don't need the the heavens to render and for mm-hmm. God to give me the clear career path, but I know I have this natural skill set and I can play into that. Yeah. Um, hearing the Holy Spirit was also very important for me. That's something I, I value quite a bit. I am from a bit more of a charismatic background that would have a value for prophetic words and people hearing from God. And of course, I mean, the, the name of your podcast is very applicable and relevant in that context. You have to have discernment with it as well. But yeah. I have had a value for it from a very young age. So I would always write down anytime somebody spoke any kind of word of encouragement or something that was maybe foretelling, I would write it down. So I have a document on my computer. Mm. It's 300 pages long of things wow. that I've heard through people over the years. And that's become like an encyclopedia almost that I can refer back to when I make decisions. That's and awesome. it's funny because, yeah, when I felt this sort of thing in my heart of like, okay, I think I'm ready to start helping other people. I went back there just to get some confidence like that God's spoken about this before. And it was very clear, like there were, there were lots of indicators that I help people again, not necessarily specifically in this area. Like you think with 300 pages, you'd get like high specificity. It wasn't necessarily that, but it was just different things that people had seen on my life that they had spoke about me that gave me the confidence and the encouragement to step out and to know God wasn't going to leave me high and dry. He was going to kind of help me out through the process. So that was a little bit of that decision-making process for me. 
That's great. I love that. I love how you didn't jump in. You waited on the Lord. You looked at what he was showing you. You gained insight from other people. And then you you took that leap of faith. You were available for God to use you to help other people. And I think every Christian listening has some kind of story, some way they can help. That's why we call are called to disciple other people. Like there's always mm-hmm. somebody younger than you. There's always somebody, you know, even if you're a newer Christian, you can share your testimony with somebody, you can do something. And uh, I feel like we disqualify ourselves when God qualifies us. He's the one that does the work. And, and at the same time, he just wants our availability, not our specificity of how much we know, how much education we have. And a lot of times when we go through things in life, whether it's you know, grief or loss or divorce or addiction, like those are periods in our life, which once we break free from them, or once we, you know, get past them, we then can share that and give people hope who are going through it. And mm-hmm. even if it's one person taking them out to coffee, you know, if, if you've gone through a divorce and then you, you, you help uh, disciple somebody else and, and mentor them, who's going through that same process, say, I was there with you, where you are five years ago. I know it's going to get better and here's how to get there. Uh, and I want to walk with you along the way. And I feel we have too many, uh, you know, keyboard warriors online sharing truth without love instead of that relationship that goes a long way. And I think there's a lot to be said for discernment in the church on social media, where we don't look at the sin and say, you need to fix that. And I'm not going to help you versus, Hey, I've been there. I want to come alongside you. I want to be there with you. And that's why a lot of people get turned off to the church. Cause if I step into church building, I know I'm going to get criticized, ridiculed. I'm going to get a laundry list a mile long of things I have to do to be a quote, good Christian instead of the whole point of why we are following Jesus to begin with is having a relationship with him. And we will get burdened along the way. We will have problems along the way. You know, I've been in cycles of sin. I talked about in my first book, Everyday Discernment, the sin cycle we get involved in where we sin, we -hmm. feel worse, we feel further away from God, and then we don't feel like we can go to God. So then we go back to that sin and it just rinse and repeat over and over until you finally break free. And so uh, we'll talk more about about all that, but um, I want to move on to with season three, I'm talking specifically about when we have discernment, you know, even if we make the the right decision or the decision God is leading us down, there will be problems, there will be roadblocks, there will be things we have to push through and persevere through. And so can you think of a time in your life when you, when you made a decision, you knew God was leading you down, but then you had to kind of, you know, pick your bootstraps up, you know, research, do the, do the work that God was leading you down uh, and kind of persevere through uh, it not always being easy. Yeah, there's a really stark example that I would say I'm still living out a little bit today. So I met my wife uh, nine months after my last relapse. That was a cool part of my story is I'd always prayed, God, whoever my future wife is, keep her on hold until I can get this sorted. One of my mm-hmm. mentors taught me marriage is a magnifier, bro. So you better sort that thing out before you go there. That's right. Um, so I met her November, uh, November 2016, it would have been. We dated for a little bit and we got engaged January 2018. And two weeks after we got engaged, she was bedridden. And doctors did not know what was going on with her. She was fully mm. healthy, fully functional, uh, a really phenomenal worship leader and lots of doors opening up for her up until that point. And here I was like, I have heard from God. I've talked to all of my mentors, my parents, my peers about Shaloma and this decision. It, it was not done in haste. I, I really kind of contemplated it and made sure. And 
proposed. She says, yes, it, it should be really the most exciting season of our life. And it kind of just felt like the wind got sucked out of our sails. Mm. And the most frustrating part was that we didn't know, like, um, it, it, it sounds fr- probably funny to say, but if it was, if it was cancer and it was clearly cancer right at the beginning, at least we would have known what we were up against. But we basically spent a year playing medical bingo where the doctors are guessing they're just as clueless as you are, but they send you to specialists and it's coming right. back. And that was a, it was a real test of the decision initially for me, uh, which probably sounds a little bit like awful. Like, how could you possibly like question your decision? This is the love of your life and whatever. But when things get that hard and then now mm. I'm thinking like, I'm committing myself potentially to be with somebody who has a chronic illness that maybe will never be identified. Um, you know, that was sort of the situation for that first year. It really got me reeling and it, it made me just think like, it, can I handle this? Cause this is not what I signed up for when I proposed, you know, like mm. I, it, it was a real, there, my immaturity was being exposed for sure. And there was also a degree of like, Hey, you made this decision. Are you sure? You know, and I kind of got that opportunity to, to work through it. And the, the worst moment of it, Tim was December, 2018. We, we were supposed to be married by then. Initially our plan was to get married that summer and December, 2018, we had um we had set a date for February uh 2019. I'm just making sure I guess my dates right for the timeline. It was February 2019 and December came around and we had our pre-marriage uh officiants or our officiants rather who were doing pre-marriage counseling with us. And in December they just said, "Guys, we love you. We think you're going to have the most incredible marriage, but we really think you need to get this sorted out before you tie the knot." And it was one of those things that when they said it to me, my heart sank because it, I knew it was right. Like mm. I knew it was right, but it was that gut punch. And my, my wife, my fiance at the time was very resistant, was like, no, like we just need to get married and put this season behind us kind of thing. And, um, and ultimately because I didn't, I, I agreed with their advice and I was, I was comfortable waiting. We decided to postpone and we honestly didn't know if we were going to make it. They were some of the most intense conversations. She was not sure, like, are you really committed to me? Because if you're committed to me, then surely you should just be able to do this regardless, like in sickness and health, all that kind of stuff. And for mm-hmm. me, it was like, no, I don't, I, I'm not saying that I don't want to be with you. I'm just saying, let's, let's extend the engagement and get some more clarity before we move forward. And anyway, that was a really, really challenging season. And we really benefited from having spiritual mentors, people who had been here before and our mentors in particular, we chose them because they actually work with young couples all the time. So they, they were just adept at walking people through these decisions. And, you know, the cool thing was right around that time, we discovered what was going on. It was very much a trauma thing for my wife and she was able to get the help she needed. She started to recover. And in September, 2019, less than a year after that postponement, uh, we tied the knot, you know, in front of 170 friends and family members. (laughs) And uh, it's really cool. And she's still healing. She's doing a lot better than she was before. And I would say life is not at all what I thought it would be when I had first popped the question. But I reached a place in my maturity as well of being like, God, I know I heard from you. I'm going to still cling on to that. I'm glad we're able to make this work. And if it never looks the way I envisioned it, that's totally fine. I love her. I'm really happy to be Mm. with her. Wow. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. And I think, I mean, you guys will be stronger because of going through that, you know, and, and that's what happens with resiliency through uh, heartache, through grief, through all this stuff that we go through the trials of life. And uh, that's why I wanted to make this season that focus because there's misconception out there of Christianity where you just give your life to Jesus and everything's perfect. You have no problems, no worries. Right. And uh, that's not the Bible. That's you know, Jesus said in this life, you will be persecuted. They will hate you because of me. And and it's not that we uh, should look forward to that, but we look forward to uh, 
life with Jesus here and life with Jesus in eternity. And while we're here, we have the comforter, we have a healer, we have someone who will walk beside us through those things. And just like the Bible talks about when gold is refined by fire, our lives are refined by going through these things and we are stronger because of them. And so Mm -hmm. if someone's going through a trial or through something, look at the purpose of it. Look at what God is trying to show you. Look at how outside of this this horrible thing that you might be going through, there might be a light, there might be something that you can see that you're learning from this process. Because I think if we go through this and we just get more dejected and downtrodden and we don't get closer to Jesus, we're missing the point. When we have trials, yeah. that's when we get closer to Jesus. Can I just comment on that? Yeah, thing? go for I it. I think that's it's such a good point. And one of the things that my wife and I have observed now, we've been married for just a couple of years, so we're still very new to this. But are the challenges of our engagement actually laid an incredible foundation for our marriage. Mm. And we've observed some of our friends who, again, have incredible marriages as well. But some of the things they've been working through and some of the challenges they're going through are things that we were forced to figure out when we were engaged. And uh, one of the things was actually just the value of being honest with each other, which it's it sounds so simple but you know when you're dating you're still you're still held back to a certain degree right and when we were engaged we had to just put everything on the table because like it just felt like crap hit the fan for us and that sort of honesty and transparent communication has served us so well like mm. it laid a foundation in that particular area that we know is going to serve us until kingdom come yeah. and we're really really grateful for that and i i just want to echo that cuz we we regularly thank god for all that we went through because it has made us better people and it has made our marriage so much stronger as a result. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, you have the, I know some couples that, you know, haven't gone through something like that until 10, 15 years into their marriage and then it rocks them. Maybe they weren't, maybe the foundation wasn't as strong as they thought. And so that's why uh, I think marriages specifically never take for granted, you know, how strong you think your marriage is. Always work at it. Always have those date nights, the time together, the prayers together, the the reading the Bible together, because you're building that foundation. Like Jesus said, if you build your foundation in me, the storms that will come will not sweep you away. You'll have your foundation firm. And I like how Jesus said, when they come, not if they come. And so just mm-hmm. like when the storms come in your marriage, you will have that foundation built in Jesus to withstand them and not just be another figure. Uh, you know, unfortunately, divorce is just as bad in the church as it is outside. And so we want to uh, be stronger than that. We want to grow in the foundation that Jesus has for us. Uh, and that, yes. takes, that takes work. That takes effort. And unfortunately, some people don't want to put that effort in. And- This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. I do want to transition to your book. It's called The Last Relapse. Realize your potential, reclaim intimacy, and resolve the root issues of porn addiction. Um, You say that you need more than prayer and quick fixes to resolve the root of your addiction and free yourself from pornography. So when you talk about quick fixes, maybe just put a little light on what those are and how they may serve a purpose, but not really get to the root issue. Yeah. So a majority of quick fixes happen in isolation in this conversation. So uh, the, the obvious fix, uh, quick fix is willpower. So it's just like, okay, I'm just going to kind of white knuckle it. When the temptation comes, I'm just going to kind of stuff it down, fix my eyes on something else, that sort of thing. Other quick fixes would be internet filters. So again, the idea, the, the logic of it makes sense. Like if I'm watching on this device, put the blocker on, that's going to stop me from going to the bad website. 
but um, it's just it, it's there's usually more to the equation than just that. And I think another another quick fix is accountability partners. Now I'm actually very much pro accountability, but I think a lot of the systems that people get taught are a bit broken. So mm. my experience with accountability was like I I messed up, and then I would reach out to my partner. Hey man, I messed up. Pray for me. Right. Sometimes I would even have the wherewithal in the heat of a moment, like feeling tempted and sending out that SOS text, like <laughs> Hey, help a brother out. Pray for me. That kind of thing. Yeah. But Again, I, I would categorize all those as quick fixes because generally it is the, it's just installing something. It's, it's primarily convenience based and it negates the confrontation of those more uncomfortable parts that are underneath the surface within our hearts that typically are giving rise to the issue in the first place. So mm. that's sort of, that's sort of what I'm referring to when I talk about quick fixes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And. Yeah, those might be parts of the solution, but they're not an end all be all because you're still kind of masking the issue. You know, like if I wanted, if I'm, you know, if I love pizza, right, and it, I can get it delivered to my door now anytime I want, and that gets turned off, I can no longer get it as easily accessible. I'm still going to search out pizza, right? It's probably a bad analogy, but it's like the ease of accessibility, I think, is what I'm getting at is nowadays mm-hmm. um, you don't have to run to the store and hide it from your parents. Like any device is a portal to a whole nother world, depending on where you want to go. And so for anyone listening who may not struggle with this personally, but is there anything that you've seen as far as like real dangers and consequences of this epidemic that maybe aren't chronicalized or there are some effects of this we may not even realize quite yet with the, the overwhelmingly uh, internet speeds we have now and social media um, I think this is still a newer thing for humanity to have this much technology at once. Uh, what have you seen as far as just doing your research and some of the negative effects? Like we know, we know obviously porn is bad, but but how bad is it right now? Yeah, this is an important question, and I'm going to try to keep it concise here because we could talk about a lot of different things. As a starting point, we should say that this is no longer an exclusively male issue. Uh, maybe, arguably, it never was, but. Uh, the stats are showing that for every two guys watching, there's a woman who's watching porn. And those numbers are increasing pretty much on a weekly basis. Mm. The stats also show that by the time somebody turns 18 today, there's a 93% chance they've watched porn with some form of regularity. So that's like staggeringly high. And that 7%, I mean, who knows, but it's basically saying, you know, by the time somebody's an adult today, they've been exposed to porn and they're probably watching it at least a couple times, um, if not with a, the kind of regular weekly occurrence. To, to talk about sort of the impacts of it, I think there's three categories. The first is the spiritual impact. Uh, a lot harder to quantify. We don't have empirical data. But when somebody gets stuck in porn addiction or any kind of compulsive sexual behavior, they start to lose sense of their purpose in life. Or they may still have clarity on the purpose, but the probability of it taking place becomes less and less in their perspective. Mm. So I think that's a huge one for people. And, you know, I have the privilege of interviewing on platforms that are not necessarily faith-based. And this conversation is literally identical. Like Mm. whether you're a Bible-believing Christian or maybe you have faith in a different arena or whatever it is, um, when somebody's sense of purpose starts to erode, it becomes a big deal. And addiction will do that to a person. The second uh, element is the relational component. So when porn is introduced into a marriage, the rates of divorce triple. And as you already alluded to, the rates of divorce are pretty high to begin with. Yeah. The other element is um, is overall relationship satisfaction. Now, this is primarily on a romantic level, but the clients I speak with from a more anecdotal perspective, their friendships and everything are disintegrating because they feel so ashamed and sometimes they're so addicted that they would just rather stay home and watch porn than go and hang out with their friends. But uh, overall, the, the relational detriments are significant. They're worth noting. 
And the third element is the personal well-being of the individual. So we observe a lot of brain fog. Uh, we observe that the overall ability to kind of concentrate and focus is certainly limited. And one, one stat I like to share to really drive the point home is concerning the, the male physical health component. So in 2001, Tim, the rate of erectile dysfunction with men under the age of 40 was 5%, which is very normal. That's quite low. And that's basically what you'd expect for that demographic. Today in 2022, as we're recording this, it's reported to be as high as 35% in that same wow. demographic. So these are men who, you know, should be sexually very healthy and they are not able to perform. And the reason, just to, just so people understand, the reason is because porn is a super stimulus. It is an unrealistic depiction of sex. But when you watch it regularly, it conditions your brain for that level of stimulus to experience arousal. So then when guys are experiencing the real thing with another individual, it doesn't offer the same level of stimulation. Therefore, they're not being aroused. And you can imagine sort of the ripples of that impact on somebody's own self-esteem, uh, but certainly in their relationships as well. So it's it's manifold, but those are the, the main areas where we see there's a huge, huge detriment to having porn in somebody's life. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's something that is, should not be ignored. And yeah, I'm glad you're doing something about it. I'm glad that you are helping people uh, recover from this because I think most people don't want to be stuck in this bondage. It, it is yeah. slavery. You know, we're slaves to something, right? We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to Christ. And if you're slaves to sin, like it does not feel good to your soul. It's not what we were made for. It's not what, you know, what God intended for his creation to be stuck in this, these cycles of addiction. Um, and so there is more that I think needs to be done. And uh, what would you say for, for churches, for leadership? Like what can the church do a better job of bringing about this issue to the light? Um, not through condemnation, but for those who want to come forward to not feel shame, uh, who are looking for help, you know, um, what would you say for, for the role of the church in all this? Yeah, I mean, so I, I pastored for 10 years. And like I said, I'm a fourth generation pastor. So I can't help but answer this question through kind of the lens of leadership. And I think what church leaders can do for sure, I mean, first and foremost, is they can get free and get healed themselves. I think that's a good starting point. The, the stats are pretty clear that church leadership are not exempt from this by any means. Yeah. And in some ways, the stats are just as normal among church leaders. So that's a really good starting point because churches are the gatekeepers for their sheep, you know, and if they, mm -hmm. if they are not getting freedom themselves, usually what happens is the leader is hesitant to bring anybody in or to bring any resources that could help people because they, I, I remember feeling this way. Like I don't have my stuff together in this area. So I don't want to be exposed as a hypocrite, right? Like who am I to, to talk about this or whatever. I think what would be really awesome to see is, um, is church leaders creating safe environments to talk about it. I think yeah. a lot of people say like, this should be discussed from the pulpit. And I totally agree. But I also understand through a pastor's lens, you can't, like, you have to protect the pulpit. And that may not be the starting point. The starting point might be that you, you run groups or you offer other ways. But I just think the leader probably needs to hurdle that hip hypocrite kind of, uh, concern and just say like, Hey, you have to do something to resource people because the reality is a majority of your congregation is probably struggling and they're too ashamed and they're too scared to come out about it. So the safer you can make it for them to reach out and the better you can resource them, the more help you're going to be. And I think just so church leaders know as well, 
Um, that expectation that you have to be perfect, usually we put that on ourselves. Obviously, it depends a little bit on kind of your church's regulations and the denomination and everything else. But generally speaking, I know for me, when I was a pastor and I started to talk to my senior leader, I was an associate. Um, but when I spoke to my senior leader about it, he was really understanding. Like he was very kind about it and was like, okay, let's figure out what we can do to help you. Um, he was not critical or condemning. And so I, I think for me, that's where it starts. The leadership has to kind of get on board and do their best with the resources they have instead of sort of turning the blind eye to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no one wants to come out and just say that they're struggling with this, but if you open that door, if you allow, like you said, a safe space where even if you just ask the question, right now, you all of a sudden that wall is removed. We're like, okay, they want to know I can let them know. Uh, or our pastor did this too. share examples in their life where they struggled with this. And now you make it seem like, oh, it's, he struggled with it. It's not just me, you know, and, and that's what isolation does it makes you think you're the only one that struggles with a problem like this you know whether it's mm. whether it's any type of sin you know we like to think that i'm the worst you know i'm the only one struggling with this there's no hope for me all the lies that satan tells us and that's where you know this really is a battlefield of the mind when you talk about this addiction or any type of sin for example i'm reading an awesome book right now called live no lies by john mark comer and he talks about three areas you know he talks about the devil the world and our flesh really where spiritual warfare, when we think about spiritual warfare, it is a battlefield of the mind. And so what, what would you say as far as how we can start to rewire our brains back or just maybe on the right trajectory to focus on God, uh, maybe after an addiction, or you know, maybe if you're in the middle of it, just some steps to start to rewire, because it is a rewiring process. It may not happen overnight. I mean, God can do mighty things and, and it could be a uh, you know, cold turkey thing. But I think for yeah. most people, you have to start thinking, you know, meditating on the Bible, reading scriptures, uh, having an identity yourself of who you are in Christ and not just who this sin has resorted you to, right? Absolutely. I think if we back the conversation up a little bit, the way I like to phrase it is that all behavior is rooted in belief. Um, you know, behavior is really a, a plant growing in our garden and, and belief is sort of what's going on under, underneath the surface. And when I talk about belief, I'm not talking about, you know, theological doctrine per se, but how you view yourself, how you view God, how you view your role in this, in this world. And what we find is that a lot of people, what drives them to porn is a lot of damaging beliefs about themselves. They have low self-worth. Um, they have feelings of disconnection. There's things that they're believing that are ultimately driving them to, to seek out things like, you know, pornography and other sexual kind of reliefs. So if somebody is struggling in their thought life, which inevitably this comes with the, the conversation, what we're trying to actually identify is uh, not just the thoughts, but what are the beliefs? I, I talk about in the book this concept of belief magnetism and the idea that the thoughts, like we have thousands of thoughts that will enter our head in a day, but the thoughts that really stick, generally speaking, are those that link most closely with our beliefs. And those are the things that we're going to dwell on. And I sort of use the metaphor that every thought is a seed. It carries that potential, but in of itself, it's actually not that harmful. What happens is when you agree with it, it takes root. It grows as you repeat it and it bears fruit when you act on it. Mm. And I think that development of thought is really helpful for us to know because if you have a problematic behavior, what a lot of people try to do like, is they install the internet filter like I was talking about. And that's kind of like running over a weed with the lawnmower. So <laughs> sure, it's gone for the time being, but the sure. root system is still there. What gave cause to it hasn't actually been addressed. 
But when you start to tackle the thoughts and some of the things that you're believing about yourself and believing about God, that that's when you really can start to uncover what's actually giving rise to this in the first place. One of my mentors said, how you see God determines who you become. Mm. And, and I love that. And so I think the other part of the equation, not just how we see ourselves, you can't really talk about that without talking about how you see God. And yeah. one, of, one of the huge things for me, Tim, like in my healing process, was understanding that God saw all of my mistakes. He saw all of the dirty, nasty thoughts I had. Mm. He saw me in my moments of temptation, and he actually loved me just the same. Yeah. I could understand that he loved me, but my, my belief system around it was always, yeah, but he would love me more if I didn't. Mm. And understanding that love yeah. in the midst of my mistake was really, really beneficial. So that's kind of a practical example of what it might look like to kind of address things at a thought life. And the other comment I, I want to make, just because you talked about wiring of the brain and rewiring, one of the mistakes that we have made is we, we think that having more information will rewire our brain or will change our behavior. But what the, the brain science shows is that the only way a circuit can actually be changed is when it is active. Mm. So if, if somebody listens to this podcast and, you know, we're going to get into some more practical things and they're like, okay, this is awesome. I listened to this podcast. I got the practical stuff. I'm good to go. The reality is all that information they've ingested is not useful until the circuit is active. So until they are triggered, until they're back in the heat of that moment where they would normally give in. When you can apply the information there, it's really impactful for rewiring your brain. And as we know, if you renew your mind, you're going to be transformed. But if all you do is just ingest the knowledge and you don't actually execute it in those moments, yeah. you're not really doing yourself any favors. That's right. That's really good. And it's it's important to understand, like you said, the why Jesus came. He came to free us from sin, but he also died for the sins that we haven't even committed yet. Right. You yeah. know, he all the sins that committed after the cross and even before redeeming people who had faith in 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 the Bible, you know, well, before the Bible and in God's word. Um, Jesus died for all that. So even if we sin tomorrow, you know, there's no shame and guilt. It's like that's when you run back to Jesus, say, I messed up. You know, I, it's like if you have a relationship with anybody and you 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 did something you regretted, or you, you know, you forgot to invite them to a party, like you go back to them and you say, I'm sorry, like. Uh, yeah. you know, come back with me, come back in this relationship with me so we can move forward. Right. And I think with Jesus too, you know, we see him as this judgmental God who's just waving the stick at us saying, Oh, got you again. Right. You, you sinned another demerit, you know, like we, we have all those judgmental thoughts about God. And I think, you know, I thought too, when you were talking about when, um, God talked to Adam and Eve in the garden, he's like, where are you? Right. He, he asked mm -hmm. Adam, where are you after they right. sinned? It wasn't about their physical location. It was about their heart posture. It's like, where are you? Like we were, we walked together in the cool of the day. Like, where are you now? Why did you do this? Like still wanting that relationship. He could have just banished them and not asked them that question, but sure there's consequences. And I talk about this too. And we have discernment and making decisions that honor God that puts us on a path of blessing for our life. And if we make poor decisions, just in an earthly context, there will be things to, to pay for, right? If we go and murder somebody, there's going to be consequences just in the natural sense. And so, mm -hmm. sure, we, we don't want to just misuse grace, but at the same time, why is there grace to begin with? Grace is there to restore relationship that was broken in the garden so that we can be in right relationship with God in relationship with him as our yes. heavenly father. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that that is often the bridge, isn't it? It's like, we know we have this problem. We know God's standard and maybe we even know that he loves us, but somehow making that bridge of like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to let God see me 
Um, and I'm also going to continue to come towards him, even though I might keep messing up. Yeah. I, I'm always really struck by Matthew 6, where Jesus kind of is laying out a, a lot of the classics of like doing good and praying and fasting. And he talks about how don't be like the hypocrites who do this to be seen by men. Surely they have their reward. Um, but when he talks about prayer, he actually, he says, he basically gives the same spiel, right? And and then he says, for your father knows everything that you need. Therefore, when you pray, and then he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And I, I've always been struck by that because I think if God knows what we need, that might eliminate like 80% of our prayers, you know, because <laughs> how often do we pray just to make him aware of the things we need exactly. when he already knows it? What what he must be after then is that, that connective, that kind yeah. of relational component of, of actually just dialoguing with one another. And, and of course, letting him into my needs. But not for the sake of listing them, but for the sake of him understanding me better, knowing me better, and me, of course, getting to know him better in the process. And I think when you embrace that element, honestly, I feel like nothing can stop you. You know, when you are really in that that regular, fluid, dynamic relationship with Jesus, there's nothing like it, you know. And it doesn't mean that your life is perfect, but what it does mean is that when you encounter these challenges and these difficulties along the way, you have a plumb line. You have an anchor that's going to resource you with all of the solutions, insights, and guidance that you could possibly need along the way. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, I want to end too, just with some practical advice for anyone listening on how they can start this process. Maybe you're you're in the middle of this in, in, in a horrible situation where you want to get out of this. And maybe you're not. Maybe you're listening to this, say, hey, that's great, but I don't struggle with this. But let's go back to what Jesus said, right? If you look upon a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her, right? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to lustfully look at another woman. And so I think a lot of times there's this justification. Well, at least I'm not doing this, right? At least I'm not looking at full-blown porn, but I also lust on Instagram or I watch HBO or I wish that uh, I was with this uh, other person from my childhood instead of my spouse that I'm with now, like all this type of stuff that we can get lost into. What would you say about the whole thing that we kind of justify? Well, at least I'm not doing that. Like, how can we overcome that? Yeah, I I mean, one of the questions I get asked, very similar line of thinking is, what can I get away with? You know, people yeah. are always asking like, hey, is this is this really a sin? Like, is mm-hmm. this really bad? And I equate that to a, a basketball player dribbling the ball as close to the boundary line as he can without crossing <laughs> it and just saying, man, I, I hope like I hope I'm OK. I hope I'm not out of bounds. Yeah. Um, you kind of miss the point. So the question is never like, what can I do? And at least it's not as bad as that person. The question is, what's the actual goal? What's the actual objective here? Mm. And an important thing to remember is, uh, yes, the the standards of the Bible are pretty high, uh, especially relatively speaking to our society today. And yeah. that is often why we try to maybe tolerate some sort of exemption or, or try to lower it a little bit. But the, the important thing to remember is that God does not set standards and, and is like, hey, good luck with that. Like, hope things work out for you. He sets standards because number one, he knows it is the absolute best thing possible for us. He's not just testing us. He's saying, look, if you actually were to live your life this way, your life would be as fulfilling as it possibly could be. Again, it's not apart from imperfections and problems and everything else. He's just saying this is the best way forward. But the second thing to me, the way I think of grace, I think of grace as defi- uh, divine empowerment. Mm. And the cool thing is that God God does not just instruct us and say, good luck. Anything yeah. he instructs us to do, he also empowers us to do it. And I think that's an important thing to remember in this conversation is that we're not trying to figure out what can we kind of contour to our preferences or to society. What we're trying to do is figure out 
how do we live this as best as possible with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of God? Because yeah. if we try to do this on our own, that's, I think, when people try to go like, okay, this is impossible, but let's see what's reasonable. Um, but if you invite God into that and you really let the Holy Spirit empower you and speak to you and convict you and correct you and everything else, then I think those standards not only become atta- attainable, but you actually enjoy the process of communing with God and kind of reaching that point eventually. So mm. I don't, did I answer your question? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's good. You know, just like basketball too, the Holy, Holy Spirit's our coach, right? He's going to guide us along the, the game. He's going to give us directions and plays and how we strategize in certain situations. And if we just don't listen to him, yeah, we're going to lose the game. We're going to get in a place where he's like, why didn't you listen to me? I gave you strategy. And uh, that's why I went back to earlier, you know, it is, it is work. You know, we're not going to say that this is just, you know, uh, just pray it away, just have enough faith, right? You have to put in the work. You have to put in the work, but it should be something enjoyable to do. Reading your Bible should be a mm-hmm. chore. Praying should be something enjoyable as you're having a relationship with the God of the universe, the someone who loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And so that's what I want to leave people with is just a message of hope that this is not, this does not define you. This is not something that you can't get out of. You are a perfect example and so many others, uh, including me and my, my past too, of, of how this doesn't have to define you. God can use you. God has plans for you and, and there is something greater. And so don't be in a position where Satan wants you to be, where you can't be effective for the kingdom. That's where he wants us all to be in a place where we doubt our, our worth. We doubt our identity. And then he's kind of got us, right? He doesn't need us to denounce Jesus. He just needs us to be in a place where we're not conflicting against his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. I also wanted to just comment. You talked about some practical things. And I think for, for somebody, like, uh, there's going to be people on different ends of the spectrum. So I know there's going to be somebody who maybe you've been struggling for a long time. Maybe nobody knows. Not even your wife knows. Your pastor doesn't know. My biggest encouragement to you would be to start talking to somebody. Find the person you trust the most and start talking to them because uh, I think it, it's got to be there. I think for somebody who maybe you've, you've stepped out a little bit, you got some resources, uh, our big recommendation is always community. Uh, mm-hmm. Very few people get free of anything like this on their own. And if they do, it takes a lot longer than if they would have had a community around them. And I think the other element is like, we always encourage professional help. That's why we've created our own program called Deep Clean uh, to, to help people because we really have seen the value of it. Everything we do comes with community as well and uh, and sort of regular coaching and guidance along the way. But I think, um, you know, the biggest thing is just taking some action. It's just taking whatever that next step might be for you. Yeah. And I think if you're not somebody who's struggling, I guarantee there's somebody in your life who is. So the better you understand the situation and the more resources you get on your hands on, like the podcast, like your devotional, Tim, all those kinds of things are great because they put tools in your hands that you can then provide to other people when the the issues do come up. So I think, um, you know, everybody has their part to play. And I think just taking one little bit of action can go a really long way. Yeah, that's well said. Very good. Uh, So Sathya, tell everyone where they can get your book and the deep clean system and all your resources. Yeah, so uh, Deep Clean is our system that helps people go through. We have three pillars of recovery. Uh, we just start to observe a lot of people getting the breakthrough they wanted, and we want to make it more accessible. So the last relapse is available on all platforms. It outlines our, our process for recovery. We hold nothing back. We offer our absolute best. It comes with a free workbook for people who want to be a bit more practical and take it to the next step. Um, it's all there. And I would just say uh, this is somebody that or something that I, I think everybody can get their hands on for the same reasons we just talked about. If you're struggling, I guarantee this is going to help you. It's going to give you some insights and a bit more of a systematic process for just how do you go through the recovery journey. But for somebody who maybe isn't struggling themselves, this could be a gift. This could be something that you have um, just ready to give to other people who might be struggling. Um, yeah. So it's called The Last Relapse, available on all major platforms. 
yeah, pastors listening as well. You know, this is a great resource as you do counseling or, you know, connections with other people. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you again so much for coming on. God bless you and your ministry and your wife. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Cynthia, so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom along this topic that often gets overlooked in the church. And I would encourage you to check out his resources and the program that he's designed as a biblically-based model to help you overcome from the struggle of lust and porn. Don't forget to follow me, Discerning Dad, on all social media platforms. I'm on a lot of them, including Faith Social, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. You can find links to them on my website, discerning-dad.com. Well, next week, I'm extremely excited for my guest, Gary Wilkerson, the son of the famous David Wilkerson. Pastor David was such a huge, pivotal role in my life, reading his newsletter articles growing up, and I know he reached so many, and I'm going to talk to his son, Gary, about his ministry, and we're also going to talk about his dad, David. So until then, go with God, grow in discernment, and keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information on Discerning Dad, go to discerning-dad.com. Be sure to follow on all the social media platforms. Just search for Discerning Dad. Please share this podcast with a friend and leave an honest review on whichever platform you listen. Feel free to send any comments, suggestions, questions, or prayer requests at discerningdad at outlook.com. Until next time. Keep fighting the good fight.